What's going on, quality people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. With me today, we have William Harris of the um, All Rookie Podcast, another Sports Ethos production. William, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Stephen. Glad, glad to be on with you. You know, I love your podcast. I'm glad to finally be on and talk about some prospects. Yeah, and you know, it's a busy time of year for both of us because, you know, with me, not only does the draft go into the offseason and the front office and all, but, you know, free agencies right around the corner. So, and then obviously you're a draft guy. So, you know, the draft is oh, two weeks away already from Thursday. So it's really coming up quick. So basically for those of you who don't know, I did release um, an article. I'm on the writing side of Sports Ethos now as well, where I release my mock draft, my first round mock draft for subscribers of the Fantasy Pass. So if you want to read that, make sure you go subscribe. But basically, I'm going to take my mock draft. William's going to take his from his podcast and what you know, compare, contrast. I like to call it mock draft wars, if you will. So um, without further ado, let's start with the Orlando Magic. So I, I'm of the belief that it's going to be one or two guys. I think it's going to be either Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith. I mean, I have seen some people on draft Twitter that are high on Paolo Bancaro. I just don't see that as a route that Orlando goes. So where do you think Orlando goes with number one? I personally think they will go and should go with Jabari Smith. I mean, he's just a guarantee. You know, Chet Holmgren, if they want to swing for the fences, I think they could go that route. But it's a strong possibility that Chet could take a while to translate to the league. But Jabari Smith's going to come right in and, you know, kind of like Evan Mobley, how he came in and was really good all year long. I think Jabari will be that same way. Totally a little bit of a different style of game, but I think his game would definitely translate because he's such a great shooter. And Orlando Magic definitely needs shooting. But no matter who they pick, neither prospect is going to take them to the promised land. So they're still a couple years away. So they do have time to wait for Chet if they would like. It seems like you're a Chet guy. I'm actually a Jabari guy. Okay. Um, I picked Chet in my mock draft. Mostly because that's just Orlando's philosophy of drafting. I mean, John Hammond, when he was with Milwaukee, drafted Giannis. They drafted Mo Bamba. Like, they like those long, tall type, long wingspan prospects. So, I, Chet just really fits what they like to do. Um, so, that's really why I have Jabari number one on my board, and I have Chet number four, I believe. Same, same. So, and I have Jabari in his own tier with um, Jade and Ivy, which we could get into, and then at Chet tier two. So, Same. so no, I, I am a Jabari guy, but Orlando has, you know, kind of shifted into taking these versatile forwards with, you know, um, Chumo, Kiki, Franz Wagner. We saw Jonathan Isaac a few years ago. So it, it I, I suppose both guys do fit the philosophy and I am a big proponent of just taking the best player available. And I do believe that is Jabari Smith Jr., um, and people perceive Chet as having a high floor, but I think Jabari not only has a high floor, but I think his floor might be higher just because of how switchable he is on defense, how elite of a shooter he is as a big man, where Chet, due to his frame, I, I do see a little bit of bust potential. I, I'm not forecasting Chet as a bust or anything, but I, I think Jabari both has a higher floor and the higher ceiling. Uh, we're on the total same page with that. Um, but yeah, if Chet hits, you know, they may regret this. But I think Jabari is pretty much a guarantee to hit. And I like what you said about Paolo. And I do think Paolo would fit with the Magic. It just seems like if they could trade down and still get Paolo at three and maybe get something else from the Rockets if they wanted to go that direction. So they have a lot of options. And, I mean, they do need a lot of options to have because they're such a bad franchise lately. Um, But they're in good shape either way. Okay. So then, again, our, our mock draft differs with I have chat, but we're on the same page with the prospects. So number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I haven't taken Jabari Smith. As I said, I think him and Chet are one and two. I actually like the fit with Chet and OKC more than Jabari, which, again, I, Jabari's a better prospect. So if OKC gets him, good for them. 
but just their need for a center, their need for the elite defense. I mean, Jabari, again, very switchable guy. I think he has all NBA or all defensive um, upside as well. But Chet, I mean, people are talking about as like a generational, like Evan Mobley type defensive prospects. So this is where you come in because you did have Chad number two to OKC. So what do you think? I mean, OKC, same thing as Orlando. They behave even less than Orlando does. They have SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort. They'll load it up with some guards. But other than that, I mean, they really, you can't really go wrong with either of them is what I'm trying to say. Right. You're exactly right. I think um, Jabari would be a great fit there as well. So OKC is in a great spot. They definitely would need Jabari as well, but you know, they definitely need that center spot. So, and it's still questionable if Chet will be able to play center right away in the league because of his thin frame. A lot of people are projecting him to play power forward early on, but you know, Chet is a guy that seems like they want, they want those prospects that could be, uh, you know, franchise changing. They've been tanking for years to get guys like this. They're not tanking to get safe guys necessarily. So they probably will want Wimbayana next year too. So hey, uh, I, think, I think they would love Chet. But if they were, if the Magic were to take Chet, I think if they could get Jabari at two, they still could turn around and get Mark Williams or Jalen Duran at 12. So there's no way OKC can lose in this draft, really. Yeah, and again, that's that's what they're aiming for with all the picks. Uh, what is it? I think 17 first-round picks in the next seven drafts. It's, it's something insane. They're going to have to consolidate those eventually. So Right. Um, okay, number three, we're on the same page. We both have, and I think most people are on the same page at this point, Houston with Paulo Bancaro from Duke. Um, again, Paulo, I'm lower on. I have him number six on my board. Ooh. I don't know if that's a hot take because I feel like people either love Paolo or I, I'm not going to say hate, hate's a strong word, but people either have Paolo like one or two or they have him like, well, I have him. Well, okay, yeah, he's a lead offensively, but he's going to give it all back on the other end. So because of that, I don't have him top five. Um, a lot of people, you know, I, I believe it was your episode of your mock draft where you said, oh yeah, he was, he's kind of like Blake Griffin when Blake Griffin was Blake Griffin. Right. I see like a Julius Randall type with, you know, his ability to pass and Randall's obviously a much um, developed passer since he's been with the Knicks, um, a guy like that. But I, I can't shake the eye test of when I watch him again, different type of player, but is there a little bit of Jabari Parker to him and just the aspect of offensive first guy, great offensive player, but he's going to not play a lick of defense. He still has, I mean, Paolo has a way bigger frame than um, Jabari had, but Jabari was known as like an athletic big guy who was offense first, couldn't really defend and had a very high floor. And clearly that high floor collapsed. So I don't know. It's not a perfect comp. Realistically, I do think Paolo might get into that Julius Randle type range of player, but I do think, there is something to worry about where you necessarily don't have to worry about for a top three pick. Yeah, I totally understand that. You know, it. I would love to compare him to Jabari Parker, but, you know, Jabari Parker did have two ACL surgeries, so that kind of derailed his career. But definitely the, the whole Duke pedigree and everything. But I think Paolo should be able to succeed. He kind of plays similar to Jabari Smith. Uh, he's just bigger, a little more clunkier. Uh, just obviously on the offensive end, I mean, his, he, on offense, he can do just about anything you would want a forward to do. And I think his not so stiff or anything that he can't turn into a better defensive player. I don't think who he is now after one year at Duke is who he's going to be necessarily in the, in the NBA. Now, if he was a junior, senior, and he played this way his whole college career, I would be worried. But, you know, he is too athletic big and long in my opinion to just be a terrible defender we will see that's the that's the dilemma that the Rockets will have to be up to because a lot of people are saying they could take Jaden Ivey and you know if they do that's going to be because they think Paolo will not be able to translate on defense yeah and I'm interested to see if it is Paolo how that Houston offense is going to look because 
they'll be running that offense mostly through Paolo and through Alprin Shangun because those are two big men who uh, I don't want to say they could handle, but I mean, they could handle for big men in comparison, but they both pass well out of the post and they're probably the two best passers on the team because I like Kevin Porter Jr., but I don't think he's a point guard long-term. And right. I think if they do take Jaden Ivey, they're banking on him becoming that lead guard because I don't think they – maybe think Jalen Green could become that in due time. They did take him number two overall over Evan Mobley. But I, I, I would be very intrigued to see that offense, you know, being ran basically through the two biggest guys on the court. Yeah, I think it's going to be a whole test project for the Rockets. No matter who they guard, they just seem like they're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what's going to stick, you know. And I can I hear you with the whole Palo and Alperin as the focal points, but like you said, as long as they have Kevin Porter Jr. there, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's running through Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green. So I definitely think if they get Palo, they're still going to need to get a pure point guard in there. And they have the 17th pick, so they have – an opportunity to do so with that or who knows what they're doing with John Wall we don't know what what I know you did an off-season projection I for the Rockets what was that I have them buying him out I don't think he's gonna play a game for them yeah it, it doesn't the look contract like and that's gonna be like a Russell Westbrook swap or something it's just it's too large of a contract for anyone to feasibly want to trade for for a guy we haven't seen in a year we've seen him play what 40 games in the last three and a half years so yeah. it's like no no one's gonna give up like even let's say the six was called, oh yeah, Tobias Harris and whatever will guarantee Danny Green's contract, even though he's out for the year, just make money work. It's like, okay, well, the six is really going to give Tobias Harris, who, yes, he's overpaid, but he's still an established number three or number four on a team for a guy we haven't seen playing in three and a half years. No, they're not going to do that. Yeah. So I, I think Houston's going to have to bite the ball and just buy him out. I don't think Wall's going to sit another year. I think it's to a point where Wall says, okay, fine, I'll let you know, you owe me $47 million. How about you give me $35 million and you keep 12 and you buy me out so I could get back on the courts? That's what I envision happening. Right, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, they had Nation Knicks, but I don't know if he's going to make the roster depending on what they do with their moves. So point guard is a really important position. If they think Jaden Ivey can play point guard, with the concerns on Paolo on defense, I could easily see them going that route because it seems like you had Jaden Ivey in the top two tier, and I do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, tier one prospects are nothing to scoff at. Like, I keep comparing this draft to 2020 and the aspect of there's not like a bona fide, like Cade or Zion at the top, like a generational type guy. But the draft's pretty deep. And, you know, it resembles 2020 where you could find value later. Well, in 2020, we had Desmond Bango number 30, Tyrese Maxey go 21, um, guys like that. So, um, I say that because 2020, I only had one tier one guy, and that was LaMelo Ball. 2019, I had Zion and John. That was my two guys. So the fact that this year I do have two tier one guys, maybe it's a little deeper than people are giving it credit for. But again, a, a tier one guy is a big deal to me. So that's how good I do believe Jabari Smith. And like my tier one is like the term next to it is all NBA type upside. And that's how highly I think Jabari Smith and Jaden Ivey. Just to, just to give listeners perspective on what we mean. So is your tier one similar or how do you go about that in your process? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Those two are in a different category. Um, they're the two locks, in my opinion. And like you said, with Paolo, he's he can almost be there. He needs that defense, and we'll have to see how it plays out. And Chet could be there, but I need to see him playing in the NBA before I can put him in there. Pre-draft, you know, I'm just not so confident that his game is going to translate. He did not play a lot of high competition in college. So it's definitely the two there. And I was pushing to put Benedict Matherin above Chet, but I just couldn't do it yet. So we'll we'll get to him later. We're going to get to a guy who I have number three on my board. And I I know um, Cooper Klein from the Upside Swings podcast. He's in agreement with me on this guy being – all that in a bag of chips. So we'll get there. But the guy I have top three is, you know, pretty astonishing to most people. So we'll get there. Okay. Um, number four, we both have Jaden Ivey, the Sacramento Kings. At this point, you know, I know they have Darren Fox, I know they have Davion Mitchell. Sacramento hasn't made the playoffs in what, 16 years now? It's the longest playoff drought ever. They got to take the best player available. And I, that that's Ivy. I mean, I, I do envision 
them in like transition with a three goal lineup of De'Aaron Fox, Jaden Ivey, and Davion Mitchell, probably going to be the fastest transition team we've ever seen with those three. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ivy, uh, he's a combo of John Moran with his speed and athleticism, but he also has athleticism like Donovan Mitchell and has the length like Donovan Mitchell has. So that, that's the two comps, like the hybrid I like giving him. I, I just think the biggest question is, unlike John Morant, he hasn't really been a lead guard. Now, obviously you and I both have him to your one, so I, I think we both firmly believe that he'll get there. Definitely, definitely. If he if he's not going to be a lead guard, then I don't think you put him to your one. But um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Sacramento does because if Ivy does develop into that guy, what do they do with De'Aaron Fox at that point? Right, and I mean that would, in my position, put them in a great spot to trade De'Aaron Fox, and that's up to them if they want to do that. But I think either way, they have to take Jaden Ivy or just trade the pick. Um, and you know, because they can take Jaden Ivey and trade him later, or take uh, trade the pick before it comes when they see who falls to number four. Because it's possible that uh, Paolo falls to four. They've been talking about that recently, and so they might want to wait and see to who's on the clock and then trade the pick because there's some all-star talent that is potentially on the move. People looking for that fourth pick, depending on what they could get in return, you can get a really good player slash all-star player plus a still a lottery pick. So uh, the Kings have a lot of good options. I don't think that three small guard lineup would ever work. <laughs> it would be exciting to see on offense, but it would be terrible on defense. Yeah. And you mentioned the possibility of Paulo. We just talked about Houston, you know, with the two great passing big men of Shangun and Paulo. Could you imagine some bonus in Paulo? That'd be so fun offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you imagine if this team didn't do the Sabonis trade and sold Halliburton? They'd be stuck with how I mean, not stuck with. I think Halliburton's awesome. I think he's going to be um a multi-time also on this league. But imagine they have Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, and Fox, and then they got stuck with number four with Jaden Ivey. I know, right? So, so I, again, I'm a huge when I did my um trade deadline grades for Sports Ethos on the article, um, on the website. I actually, I, I believe I gave Sacramento an F just because I don't think Sabonis, again, not crapping on the guy, and I feel bad that Sabonis is tied to this trade because he's a fine player, two-time all-star. He's a good player. But I think if you're trading Tyrese Halliburton, you need to get like a Dame Lillard or James Harden when he was on Brooklyn, like before the disaster in Philly. Like, I I think you need like a superstar to trade that level of guy. So it's ironic that that trade might have been a disaster because of giving up Halliburton for Sabonis, but it might end up working out if they get Ivy anyway. So that's the irony of this whole thing. Right, right. That would help. You know, I'm a big Sabonis guy. I love Sabonis, but yeah, you probably should have waited or got Sabonis and maybe something else, you know, because, but in Sacramento's delusional mind, they think they are going to win now and they're still a long way away. So it would have been better off to keep Halliburton. Yeah, they, they gave up Halliburton for a shot at a playing tournament. I mean, right. he's the best prospect you've had since Boogie Cousins. <laughs> so, okay. Number five, I think we're on the same page still. Let's see. We both have Shade and Sharp out of Kentucky. Um, Shade and Sharp, as everyone knows, is the draft's mystery man. We haven't seen him since high school. So he sat the year out of Kentucky. Um, I mean, what we do know is that he's a super athlete. He's long. He can shoot. And the upside is just, uh, the upside is immense from, you know, the intangibles and what we've seen in high school. He was the number one guy in 2023. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's in this draft. So for Detroit, I I do think it's, I I wouldn't say it's the best player available just because we don't have enough intel about him. But, you know, if you're Detroit, you're going for the highest upside guy to pair with Kate. And I think that's the appropriate way to approach it. Yeah, 100%, you know, I do feel there's a tier. I mean, I, I personally think, like I mentioned, Benedict Matherin, I would prefer him over Shaden Sharp. But with Detroit, I think they will swing for Shaden Sharp with that upside because they, I'm sure they were very disappointed they did not get a top four pick in this draft. By all accounts, they were supposed to, but the lottery just did not work in their favor. And Shaden Sharp is a big swing for the fences. He could be the all-star player that they're looking for to go along with Cade. And, you know, there's no center at this spot 
worthy. There's no power forward at this spot worthy. So you might as well get a running mate with Kate, and that should be fun for Detroit. Yeah, and again, number six, we differ. And I kind of put these guys back-to-back for a few reasons. Number six is the Indiana Pacers. I went with A.J. Griffin, just because similar to Sharp, I mean, we haven't really seen a whole lot of Griffin at a high level. Sure, he played significant minutes the second half of Duke's year, but in the beginning of the year, he barely played. He missed a senior year of high school because he was training with his dad in Florida. Um, I, I believe he, his junior year of high school was cut short as well. So, yeah, we saw him in March Madness for those few games. But um, I don't know. He's still somewhat of a mystery to me just because we haven't seen him play, you know, that much at a high level. Um, I, I do think he's, what, maybe a top 10 to 12 shooter in the world. He's shot like 44, 45% from three, every level he's played at. So that's significance. Um, but it looks like he was set from the athleticism due to the knee injuries that he's had. Um, so I, I just, I don't know how to feel if he's <laughs> not going to have the athleticism of like, let's say Shaden Sharp has, because I, I picture him as a very high level three and D type guy. But the issue is, you know, that athleticism, he hasn't really defended at that kind of level in some time. So that's my biggest issue. I did take him number six, though. I do like your pick. You had Keegan Murray. I think if Keegan Murray doesn't go to six to Indiana or seven to Portland, he might have like this mini slide where just because, um, you know, teams are in the lottery, they want upside. The Pelicans, Keegan doesn't fit with Zion. Nine, maybe the Spurs will take him, but they already have Keldon Johnson. Ten, Washington, they desperately need guards, especially if Bradley Beal walks. And they have Hachimura and Kuzma, so Murray wouldn't fit there. Eleven, the Knicks have Randall and Toppin. So I'm just saying that to show, okay, Keegan Murray, he might fall to no fault of his own, in my opinion, if he doesn't go six or seven. But I went with Griffin at six over Murray just because of the upside of Indiana hasn't picked in the top 10 or in the top nine since 1989. So they might not be here again for a while. So why not swing for the biggest upside guy when you already have the infrastructure of Halliburton and Brogdon and Miles Turner? While they might move some of those guys, um, you'd have some pieces. So why not swing for the highest upside guy? I get your point with that. Um, but with Indiana, you know, they do have Buddy Hill there. How do you feel about his future prospects with Indiana? Because I think Buddy Hill and A.J. Griffin are pretty similar from what we've seen from A.J. at Duke. No, that's definitely fair. I do think between Buddy Hill, Duarte, Brogdon, and Halliburton, and I'll even throw T.J. McConnell in there, I think they're going to have to trade two of them. So I, I, Hill is the highest paid out of those five. So it might be hardest to move him given he's not like Brogdon's going to be the easiest to move, obviously. Um, I actually do think Indiana is going to be a big player for DeAndre Aiden. I envision something along the lines of like Miles Turner having a handshake agreement on an extension with Phoenix to trade for him. And they swap like Miles Turner and Chris Duarte for DeAndre Aiden, something like that. So that, that's definitely a move I see Indiana making. And then even so, Indiana's pushing even more chips in for both the future and for the present. So maybe that would then swing them into taking Murray because they, I don't know. I don't want to say they'd be more ready to compete because uh, I think Miles Turner still might be a hair of it better than DeAndre Aiden because of his defensive ability. But either way, Indiana clearly would be pushing in the chip. So maybe that would affect where things go. Um but yeah, they're definitely going to move a few of those guards. I, I did read some speculation that Brogdon could go to Sacramento in a deal for pick number four. I don't know. If you That's have a, a shot at Jaden <laughs> Ivey, Malcolm Brogdon's a good player, but I'm not trading him for a shot at Jaden Ivey. So again, that, that speculation has people on Twitter. That's right. I, I, I don't have any inside knowledge or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I do see your point. And you know, power forward with Keegan Murray is a need for Indiana. So I, I do think Keegan Murray there, or as I said, pull the number seven, I think one of those two are his prime landing spots. Right, and that's the main reason why I went with him there. I think Keegan can play a little bit of the three, a little bit of the four, and that's the position that they need the most. You know, T.J. Warren will probably be out of there, and, you know, obviously Sabonis is out of there. Um, but 
uh, because I don't have Keegan Murray as a six-ranked player, but that's just where Indiana normally goes the safe route. But as we know with the draft lottery, what we normally expect, teams do the total opposite. So yeah. you never know. They could take the best player on the board, but I think Keegan is probably the best fit. But, yeah, like you, like you said, each team has a plan for the offseason. Each team is going to sign some free agents that are going to throw a wrench in things, and then some are going to make some trades to throw a wrench in things. So if they don't take – Keegan Murray, you can best believe they have some other plans in the offseason. Speaking of teams that have time in or have plans for the offseason, let's talk about Portland at number seven. Um, you have Benedict Mathurin as, you know, your guy you've been talking about. Um, what do you have him on your board? You said number three? Oh, overall, I have him fifth. Um, okay. But in this draft, definitely, I have him going to Portland. Okay. Um, I have Keegan Murray going to Portland at seven. So we, we're on the same range of Murray. And just to spoil number eight, I have Mithorin going to the Pelicans at eight. So we're right there on guys. Um, Portland, though, they're the biggest one where it's like, okay, they're most likely going to trade this pick. I envision them trading for like a Jeremy Grand level where – I don't know. I don't think Jeremy Grant's the level of player where you trade it, the seventh pick in the draft for him. I agree. But will those smoke those fire? And when they open up that C.G. McCollum trade exception that Jeremy Grant fit perfectly into, he doesn't fit into it anymore since the salary increase. But it, it just, I don't know. It, I just feel like that's a move Pullman would make, even though, you know, the value isn't lined up. Like, if they really want a guy of Jeremy Grant's ilk, Grant's a better score, but why not draft, like, a Jeremy Sohan in number seven? A very versatile defender. Um, we saw Scotty Barnes, like, by during the combine last year, Scotty Barnes was a lottery pick, but what? He was in, like, the 10 to 12 range? Then all of a sudden, he kept moving up, moving up, moving up boards until Toronto took him at four overall. I could see Sohan having a similar, you know, um, rise up boards. Because, I mean, they're similar type players. But I, I just say that to show the upside of, like, okay, Pullman could really do something in the seventh pick. But because of Dame, they don't want a rookie that's going to take years to develop. They want a Jeremy Grant who could help them win now. So I, I do think Pullman is a little desperate. But I, I do think the fact that they had Mike Schmitz as an assistant GM, ESPN's draft analyst, that might throw a wrench in things. Because they have a lottery pick for the first time in a few years. And they're bringing in the draft guy. So yeah, I don't yeah. know if that changes anything from like wanting to trade the pick or not, but it definitely does <laughs> mention things. I'm fine with them trading the pick, but I would not be fine with them trading the pick for Jeremy Grant. I believe that would be a similar type of situation as what Sacramento did uh, and getting to bonus. You know, it elevates your team a little bit, but it's going to get you where to the play in, you know, six, six, seven, eight seed. And I mean, it didn't even work for them. So I would much rather prefer them take the pick, or like I said, if they can get a Brad Beal or a Zach Levine or something, sure. But you can't risk your whole future just to make Dame happy. You know, they did that. They brought in Rocco. It didn't work out. They brought in Norman Powell for Gary Trent. It didn't work. It would, it would be much better off if they would have held on to Gary Trent. And, you know, so I think you got to stop chasing, pleasing your star and build your team the right way, like the teams in the championship right now. And then you'll be better off. So I would go with the draft pick. If they believe in Benedict Matherin, Sohan, uh, anybody, A.J. Griffin, if he's there, Malachi Brand, it's a lot of guys, Tari Eason, that will fit on this Portland team. And, it, like, Jeremy Grant's not going to be much more of an upgrade to take them anywhere. They need a lot of help to compete with the Warriors of the world, the Suns of the world, even the Lakers next year. Hey, for Lakers fans, let's hope. Um, number eight, you have the Pelicans taking Dyson Daniels. As I said, I haven't taken Benedict Mathurin. Um, if I were to release this mock draft today, Daniels has, you know, been skyrocketing up boards. I probably would have Daniels going here, if not higher, number eight. So, um, let's start with Mathurin. What, what do you like so much about him? I just love everything about his game. Watching this tape, he was one of my favorite players to watch. You know, he's super athletic, but not only is he a super athlete, incredible dunker he can shoot just as well and that's something rare that you rarely see you know with guys most guys jumping out of the gym are not working on their three-point shot as much as they should 
Um, you know, he's a clutch player. He can hit the floater, has soft touch, has a mid-range game, and he's pretty good on defense as well. You know, I think he'll be a fan favorite, very exciting player. And, you know, I think he has great size. So I think he'll fit great uh, with Portland, a lot of teams, really. So it just depends on where he lands. I know a lot of people are mainly projecting him. I've seen probably like 10 to 15 range, and I just don't get it. I see him as one of the top five prospects in this draft. I think the biggest issue with um, Thorin is that people don't think he's going to be like a lead scorer. Like he's not going to, you know, be that 20 point per game guy and, you know, lead the team in scoring essentially. Um, But at this pick for like the trailblazers of Pelicans, especially teams that are aspiring to win now, you don't need him to be, I mean, pull then you have Dame and Anthony Simons, um, the Pelicans, you hopefully have Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. So I, I do think he's a very good complimentary piece for a team like that, despite the fact that he may never be a lead scorer. Right. And I mean, he did score 18 a game in college and not many guys scored 18 points per game. Jabari Smith didn't even score 18 points yeah. per game. So I think he has the potential to do whatever the team needs and any of the weaknesses he has, which are not many, he will be able to improve. So I just love him as a prospect. But for the Pelicans, uh, he would fit there. But the fact that they have Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, I just think that it would kind of be a log jam there. So point guard, I don't know if they want C.J. McCollum to be a point guard or like the dual guard. And if Dyson Daniels is the point guard that we think he can be, that would give C.J. a break. (laughs) And Dyson could eventually lead this team and be the point guard of the future. because he. Because Devontae Graham is not really who you want to be a starting point guard. Devontae Graham is, I think, best in that six-man role. And I think the Pelicans, you know, overextended him by giving him, you know, borderline starter money. But, you know, I think he'll be a fine third or fourth guard on that team. So the issue is you're not paying him like a third or fourth guard. So for that reason, you know, maybe his time there might be shorter than anticipated. But okay, so Dyson Daniels, you have him number eight. I know we just mentioned him. Um, I have him to Washington in, at 10. But as I said, he's really moving up boards. Same thing as what I said with Paolo Bancaro, how he reminds me of Jabari Parker. Dyson Daniels I like. I have in my lottery. But I just see like a Michael Carter Williams. And I just, I don't see the, uh, I, I see the high floor. But I just, I don't see the upside. And that's fine for depending on picking in the lottery, but a top 10 type guy, I think I want, like people are talking about him going like four or five at this point. Yeah. That's, I, yeah I don't no, see that. No, <laughs> I, I think he's, I think he's, um, I, I suppose it would start at set at eight, his, um, the highest he could go that, but even so it's like, I, I don't see the upside. I saw him when they played um, the Delaware blue coats and I, I was very underwhelmed with him. So I, I definitely have gone back, watched him, but I just, yeah, the intangibles, um, everything like that. He has touch on his floater, so he hope it could develop into three. But I, I don't know. That's why I don't like comping guys, because I, I come up with the comp, and then I can't get the comp out of my head, <laughs> like the Dyson Daniels, Michael Carter-Williams um, combo. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. He did not always... You would not always recognize he was there and like he's the best player on the team or anything. I definitely have him ranked around 13 or 14 as the overall prospect. But it's those glimpses and flashes of brilliance that you see. And the fact that you had LaMelo Ball, tall point guard, come in, be incredible. Then you had Josh Giddy, the next year tall point guard, come in, be incredible. That is moving Dyson Daniels up, in my opinion. Because the flashes of brilliance, the flashes of great passing that he has, and he shoots better than Josh Giddy. teams are going to say it's a copycat league. So they're going to try to go that route and see if they can turn Dyson Daniels into that. Uh, and I think I would love for him to go to the Wizards. That, that was my perfect fit. But once he started moving up draft boards and everyone was seeing the connection, I was like, the Pelicans could use him as well, and I could see him moving up to eight. But I would love for him to go to the Wizards like you have projected. Okay, and yeah, Dyson Daniels to Washington. 
I just want to throw out there, I think Bradley Beal's gone. I think Bradley Beal's free agency is going to be very similar to what happened with Kemba Walker in Charlotte, where they didn't trade him at the deadline because they thought he was going to stay. Then they didn't want to give him the full Supermax. And then he ended up leaving, going elsewhere where he could, you know, try to win. So I, they need a point guard as is. I, I think they'd be absolutely desperate for any type of guard, assuming, um, you know, Bradley Beal walks. So that's why I do like that Dyson Daniels fit. Um, number nine, San Antonio Spurs. I had Jeremy Sohan, who I just talked about, who I think could definitely rise up boards a la the way Scotty Barnes did. Now, you have a wild card. You have Jalen Williams. Nah, there's a Jalen Williams rising up boards right now from Santa Clara. You have the Jalen Williams, the center from Arkansas. So I, I know you and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but, you know, what, what made you I, – I know the Spurs – I don't want to say they need a big man because Jacopoto is fine, but he is an expiring contract at the end of this year. What made you go with out of, you know, between Mark Williams and Jalen Duran – what made you go with Jalen Williams as the big man the Spurs will take? In my opinion, he's the most talented offensively. Um, the other guys are great defensively, and Jalen Williams is pretty good defensively. But his offense, his vision is incredible. And, like, I'm seeing his vision compared to Nikola Jokic. So if he can reach that level of passing, that's going to make him even better than – way better than the other two guys, but the main fact that he can shoot the three, these other two guys cannot. His offensive game is just levels above these other two, in my opinion, and apparently I'm the only one that thinks this because everything that I'm seeing, Jalen Williams is being mocked in the second round or late first, but in my opinion, his talent is through the roof. You know, he's 6'10". You know, he shot 30% from three. You may say that's not great, but for a 6'10 guy, that's pretty great. Um, But yeah, he can shoot that 20-foot jumper as well. Uh, a lot better than three, <laughs> but he shoots it with confidence also. And he's a great athlete, which Jokic is not, but he's very good defensively with switching. You know, I, I just think he's a super talented big with potential to be great. And the fact that the Spurs are always going to throw a curveball. you know, last year they just drafted Josh Primo. No one expected that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they'll do the same thing with Jalen Williams this, this year. And I think if they do keep Yaka Pertle, Jalen Williams can still play along with him at the four. So I think that's what they should do. I think my biggest issue with this is that the Spurs also have picks 20 and 25. Because, I, I mean, if you want to, you know, at nine take, a, let's just say so, just because that's who I have, just for argument's sake. Then Jalen Williams is most likely going to be there at 20. Or if you really, you know, want those two guys, if you really want Jalen Williams, take 20 and 25, package it to... I don't know, Houston at 17 or something. Houston doesn't need more picks, but um, to go get that Jalen Williams type guy. I just, I don't know. I, I think nine's a bit high. I mean, again, glad you had the courage to follow your convictions with that. But I, I don't know. I, admittedly, I haven't still dug in too much on Jalen Williams. I do watch a lot of college basketball. So a lot of my film watching comes during the college basketball season. But I, I don't know. Again, I'm not super <laughs> big on Mark Williams or Jalen Duran, so I get it. Um, I, I think Williams is too stiff on defense. That's sure he'll be a rim protector, but he won't be switchable at all. And Duran, I, I think I have to see him with an elite point guard or even an above-average point guard because, you know, Memphis, the whole Imani Bates, the point guard experiment didn't work out. Um, so... That's my biggest issue with those two guys. So I, I don't hate it. <laughs> I, I just think because they have 20 and 25, that will make more sense to go with one of the higher rated guys. And then if they really want to either trade up with those two picks or wait for them to fall to 20. Right, um, right. That, that's a good point, but it just depends how they feel. You know, you never know. I mean, how yeah, if they want them that badly. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, you know, the Knicks could just come out of nowhere and <laughs> pick him at 11. So if you if that's your guy, you got to get your guy. But in my opinion, he's it's not a reach because that's just how talented he is. Mm-hmm. But I can see if he is going to fall, you make great points about the 20th pick and 25th pick. And But my feelings on Sohan, I seem to only be the only one that's down on him. Okay. Because in my opinion, what I see, I do not see a special talent. Um, I think he's 
could be a second round pick if he if anything late first and uh you know everyone else seems to love him but I don't think he does anything to help the Spurs change their team or anything so because his offense is just not really there his rebounding is okay I mean yeah I'm looking at your first round you don't even have Sohan in it so again you're right you have him as a second round now that now that Strother is returned to school I have Mm -hmm. Sohan as the 30th pick right now to OKC okay Uh, my thing with Sohan is sure he might not ever be able to shoot. He only converted at a 29.6% clip, but you're not drafting him to shoot. You're drafting him to be a switchable defender who could defend one, legitimately defend one through five. You're having him handle a little bit. You're having him with pretty good court vision. Um, he's able to pass. He's in that mold of like the up and coming. I, I don't want to say Ben Simmons or Draymond Green, but again, similar player to like a Scotty Barnes where, if you surround him with shooters, he's going to be adequate and really good at what he does. And, and that's my biggest thing with him. Right. And if, if that happens, that's a great pick. But I don't see that with him. I saw it with Scotty Barnes. When I got a Scotty Barnes last year, I said he has potential to be the next Giannis. And he's on that trajectory to do that. With Jeremy Sohan, I just don't see it. I mean, he's a really good defender, great finisher, great blocker can guard multiple positions, but to me, that's a role player. Uh, okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And again, I, I have him in nine in San Antonio. I said he'd be best surrounded by a bunch of shooters who go space the floor. San Antonio wouldn't be an ideal situation for him at that point. That so, would be a good um, bit. So I admit that. Okay, number 10, as I said, I had Dyson Daniels, and you have A.J. Griffin. Um, we already covered both those guys, so I don't want to spend too much time on the Wizards. But again, if Bradley Beal walks, it's going to be very intriguing to see what they do. I mean, at that point, let's say Dyson Daniels is off the board. At that point, if you're number 10, Bradley Beal walks, I kind of like Johnny Davis going there to kind of fill that Bradley Beal role. It's, I mean, it's possible. I like Malachi Branham better uh, yeah, than... Or Bra- Branham would be good too. Yeah, better than Johnny Davis. But yeah, it's a lot of guards all in that range. I mean, they could even go Jaden Hardy. You know, it, it's a lot of options there. But if, you know, A.J. Griffin's on the board, I could see them going that route. But the, I think the Wizards will kind of be scrambling if <laughs> Dyson Daniels is not there because they need a point guard desperately. So, Okay, let me get your opinion on something while we're on Washington and Beal. Um, I, I actually, as I said, I'm releasing my pod one of my article, and that's going to have the Celtics in it. I had Bradley Beal on a signing trade to Boston. Because of his relationship with Tatum. You took Boston? The Boston in a signing trade. Wow. (laughs) Admit, as I said, it did take me about a month and a half to completely finish. So that was one of the first moves I made. I thought Boston could get to the finals, but at the time I'm like, yeah, like maybe Beal's what they need to get to the next step. Like to get to that next level. I have, as a result, because they need salary match, Al Horford is part of the package going back to Washington. I'm not so sure Boston would do that now with all the success they've had this year with this team. Like, are they proactive and, okay, Horford's on expiring and he's 36 years old, so let's trade him to get Beal and be proactive? Or do we run it back, whether we win the championship or whether we lose it this year, because, you know, we, we were right there this year. I, I'm, ve- I, I'm really torn on whether that's still realistic or not, because Beal and Tatum are very close. So from the same hometown. Um, so I, I think for multiple reasons, the Celtics, if I was able to bet it in Vegas, I would put my money on the Beal landing with the Celtics. Wow. That's, that's huge. So they're trading Horford and who else? Um, let me pull up the whole trade. It was Horford, Aaron Neesmith, um, and then uh, Derek White. And then I believe a wow. first round pick. If I'm if I'm Washington, I'm hanging up the phone. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Beal could he's a free agent, so he could say, Oh, well, if you don't trade me here, like in the sign and trade for Jimmy Butler when he went to the Heat, the Sixers only got Josh Richardson. So right. sign and trades are different, you know, value differently than an actual trade in the NBA where, okay, I have this guy under contract, so I, I could hold him out for proper value. Washington, I suppose you figure, okay, you get Derek White. He's a fine player under contract long-term. You're getting a first-round pick. You're getting a flyer on Neesmith. Then Horford, you can always slip at the deadline for another asset. 
But I don't think Bill's going to turn down that extra money with re-signing with Washington. That's so. fair, yeah. Washington could give him, what, like $60 million or more. Right. <laughs> and with the, the way Bill played this year, again, it might have been his knee. It could have been a whole slew of things. But hopefully it wasn't the beginning of the end. But that's yeah. – I'm not so sure Bill stays. It's tricky. Washington's in a weird spot. So, I mean, yeah. what, what they do is going to be very – They're in the spot that Pullman was in last year. And we saw Paul then make a big move with CJ McCollum. They haven't right. yet moved Dame, but that's what I feel like they're in. Yeah. Um, okay, so number 11, the New York Knicks. We both have the two guys we just talked about for the Wizards needing a guard. I have Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. You have Malachi Branham from Ohio State. Um, Johnny Davis was really good in the beginning of the year before he got hurt. He was up there for National Player of the Year as a sophomore. Um, obviously, it fell off a little bit. He's not a great three-point shooter, but his mid-game, mid-range game is elite. And he's pretty good defensively. So, Branham, I, I know he's... Branham shot, what, 50-40-80 as a freshman in a Power 5 conference. So, that's definitely nothing to scoff at. Um, I don't know. Johnny Davis, obviously, more polished now, but he was a sophomore. Branham was a freshman. Branham, I feel like, has a lot more potential and room to grow, though. So... Is that why you went with him over 11 over a guy like Davis? Yeah, and just looking at his film, I just felt like he was the better prospect. I think I have him six overall. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. That three-point shot is for real. I will say about Johnny Davis, though, as a freshman, he did shoot 39%. So what's the real Johnny Davis, 39% or 30? Probably around 35. But Malachi Branham shooting 41% from three, like you said, 50% from the field. He has a tremendous shot. You know, he can do everything on the court that you want him to do. I think he can definitely come right in and be a starting shooting guard for a team that needs a shooting guard. Very polished, smooth player. And, you know, I've said this, he reminds me of a young Ray Allen. So I love his game. And he's got a little Brad Bill in his game also. So I think he will translate well no matter where he goes. I would rather him not go to the Knicks <laughs> because – you know, Thibodeau doesn't really like rookies, and, you know, they'll probably start Fournier all year. <laughs> but well, I don't know how much longer Thibodeau is going to be there, but he should be gone. He should be gone now. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Um, but again, he just won coach of the year last year. He had them overachieve. Uh, right. I get giving him that, you know, the third year to see what you could do. So, who do you have the Knicks taking? Johnny Davis, Johnny right? Davis. What do you think they should do with their point guard situation? Just stay as is. Well, here's the thing. There's no real, like, lead guards available at the spot right. with Dyson Daniels gone, Jaden Ivey gone. So I'm not – I think I'm still the proponent of being the best player available. Another big move it, – it's ironic because I was just talking about the Beal move. The other big move I have them making, the Knicks, is I think – again, I, I know the players are like Jalen Brunson and maybe like a Colin Sexton type guy. I think if the if if uh, if Donovan Mitchell requests out, the Knicks are the first one that are going to call. I mean, we saw the Knicks brass sitting courtside at the Mavs Jazz game, and all the speculation was, "Oh yeah, they hired Rick Brunson as an assistant. They're scouting Jalen Brunson." I think it had just as much to do with Donovan Mitchell as it did with Jalen Brunson. Um, well, the Knicks always have hopes of getting the best yeah. players that they end up Yeah, getting. so that's the question is, is this year they're going to be able to land somebody? Right. I, I think if they pony up and say, okay, look, we'll give you R.J. Barrett and Obi Toppin oh. and Cam Reddish. Oh, okay. Now you're, gonna do now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so people are saying, oh, yeah. Like I saw, um, I think it might have been Mark Stein reported. And again, if it was Mark Stein, I apologize for whoever did. But they said, oh, yeah, that he'd have a better compelling package for – Donovan Mitchell because they could put Tyler Hero in it. But I'm like, yeah, they're Tyler Hero, but then what else? Max Struess, who has one year left on his deal, then you have to pay him? I mean, if you're getting Obi Toppin and Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett and like a Deuce McBride and throw in that Mavs pick or something, I, very few teams in the league are going to be willing to beat that offer. Yeah, so, I mean, unless they really think highly of Jaden Ivey, the Kings could might swing something, but... Ooh, yeah, they could. <laughs> um... But yeah, so I do have the Knicks also eating Mike Conley's deal because if Utah does, you know, trade Gobert and Mitchell or even one of them, they, they might be in or they most likely will be in for, at least, if not a rebuilding, then definitely a retooling. And Conley, you know, he wasn't good this year. He was a shell of his old self. As much as I hate to say that, I love Mike Conley as a player. But, you know, 
the Knicks, I, I could see that being their backcourt of Mitchell and Conley taking that from Utah. So you asked what I think they could do with the point guard position. I, I don't know if it's going to be manual quickly. I think it could be. But again, as long as Tibbs is there, I can't envision him entrusting quickly to be the guy. Yeah, I could see with Tibbs there. They swing in for Donovan. They don't get Donovan. They're going to somehow end up with Westbrook on this team. I could just see it happening now. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> and you know what? That Whoever they would be, it would probably be like a Julius Randle, Evan Fournier, and the Lakers throw them two first-round picks. Would that be the worst thing for the Knicks to just blow it up again? And I'm I, sure I don't know. Westbrook would probably play really well with the Knicks, too. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I, you haven't seen, you know, real. I, I think the Wizards version of Russell Westbrook was Russell Westbrook, but he, he just doesn't fit in that team. So it's hard to tell one way. Or right, one. right. Um, number 12. This is the guy I'm referring to. You had Tori Eason, number 12 to OKC. I have a number three on my big board. Wow. Um, I'm very, very high on Eason. He's a Swiss Army knife defender, great team defender. He could handle it a little bit. He's an okay shooter. If There was a very good video on YouTube by Chip Jones, who basically broke down Eason from his high school senior year to his freshman year at Cincinnati to his sophomore year at LSU. And he's just the kind of player that I just see developing and getting better and better because he wants to be great. So I think the shot continues to develop. I think the handle and the passing continue to develop. Well, he's going to be a Swiss Army knife defender who could also be a point forward. Well, I envision him starting as like a Herb Jones as early as next year, can develop into like a Jeremy Grant type as the medium outcome. But I see like a bigger version of Jimmy Butler with the way he draws fouls as like the ceiling. And he again, I, draws fouls very well. That's, yeah. That's when, he's yeah. very athletic. Like there's just so many things that to like about him that it's like, I can't see a guy like him failing. So, I, I mean, I, I can't hate on that. I mean, his talent is there, you know, he's a freshman. He did shoot 36% from three uh, as a sophomore. So uh, that shooting is there. Uh, and he only played 24 minutes per game, averaging 17 points. That's yeah, ridiculous. He, so I'm pretty sure he made all SEC first team as a um, bench player, as a six man. Right, right. So, I mean, his, his potential is definitely through the roof. That's going to excite a lot of teams. If he falls to 12, I think that would be a steal for OKC because he could easily go to the Spurs at nine, and I think that would be a great fit as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, do you have him going 12 to OKC? I have mind? him going 13 to Charlotte. Um, again, I have a number three, so I think it's way too low. My – but my um, mock draft was more based off what I think teams will do, not what they right. should do. Right. Um, so for that reason, I had him at 13. Just from intel from what I read, big boards, mock drafts, everything like that. Um, that that seems to be about the range, like 11 to 18 range is where Easton's been falling, it seems like. Um, 12, I have Jalen Duran, um, the center from Memphis for OKC. And again, if they get Chet, they're not going to take Doran, I wouldn't imagine. Um, but in this I scenario... Yeah. If they get you, I think they should take their <laughs> Yeah, but in this scenario, I do have them taking Jabari, so then all of a sudden they're filling out their front court pretty well. Um, as I said, I think we need to see Duran with the true point guard. Well, he's a great lob threat, and again, he didn't really have a point guard in college. So I think playing with Josh Giddy, playing with SGA, I think that would really unlock a lot of his game. Yeah, I like that fit. I like that, like I said, I like that fit regardless of who they take at one. Uh, because Chet is going to need some backup down there. You know, he had backup with Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. And, you know, at least for the first year or so, he'll need some backup there. But I think Eason would fit with Chet as well. So yeah. either one, either one would be great. And with Doran, I, I don't know. I envision like an Isaiah Stewart type role, but I think there's a little bit more upside and I think he's a little bit more mobile. So that that's the type of player just to you know give listeners who aren't as savvy in the draft as um like draft experts or even you know people like us that are trying to do this for a living um 
So yeah, just to get perspective, that's the type of guy because Isaiah Stewart actually low-key defend the perimeter a lot this year. And I see Doran with his hip flexibility being able to do the same. So that's why I'm hot. I, I know there's a hot debate going on right now of who people have higher between Mark Williams and Jalen Doran. I have Doran higher because of the ability I think he'll be able to defend the perimeter better. I have Williams better because of his offensive skills a little bit higher than Duran's, but yeah, it's not that far apart, but um, yeah, I think Duran will be, will be like, if he goes to OKC and they have Jabari Smith, Jalen Duran, Duran could possibly get 15 rebounds per game at OKC. <laughs> okay. So then let's talk about Williams. Cause 13, as I said, I have Tari Eason going to Charlotte, U.S. Charlotte taking Mark Williams. I actually have Mark Williams going 15. So I have him the first pick out of the lottery. And for me, that was just more strategic. I think they want, they would want Williams more, but because the Cavs pick at 14, they would have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Why would you take the center at 13 when you have pick 15 and you know the team at 14 isn't going to pick a center, essentially? So that's why I, and again, I have Easton High on my board anyway. But Mark Williams, you have a 13. Um, we covered him a little bit just now. Um, so do you have anything else to say about Williams? Or Well, the reason I haven't marked at 13 is because I thought that same thing you did. Go ahead and get him with the 15th pick, but you just never know if a team will trade up. A team trades up, yeah. Cavs pick. So that was just in the back of my mind. I'm like, if this is the guy the Hornets want, just don't play around. Just go ahead and get him at 13. And I think he'll work well with LaMelo. I mean, he's nine foot nine standing reach is just ridiculous. Which was the record, I think. Right, right. And, you know, when you think of a big man like this, you think of a slow, (laughs) like Andre Drummond type of player, but he's still – gets up and down that court really well, runs well, moves his feet well. But I would be disappointed if they don't take Williams or Durant. Just at least get one up in Charlotte. <laughs> I'm yeah, from North Char- Carolina. Get Charlotte, one of them. <laughs> I feel like every time a center becomes available as in trade rumors, the first landing spot is, oh, they're going to Charlotte. Like, Miles Turner, we've seen it for years. Christian Wood, we've seen it for years. Yep. Like, in my mock offseason, I just think, just because of cap implications, I think they end up going for, like, a Chris Boucher type. Which is oh. fine, <laughs> but I, I just don't see them going after that elite. Maybe they do go after a Christian Wood type guy. And again, pairing like a Christian Wood and Mark Williams, maybe you have something. Christian Wood's on a one-year deal, so he's the starter. You have Mark Williams back him up. But Mark Williams, the thing is, they need an elite defender. Their, de- their offense is elite, especially if they bring on Mike D'Antoni as their coach, which it looks like they're going to hire Kenny Atkinson, but they did say D'Antoni was going to meet with MJ. Um, they, they really need help with that defense. And Williams would really help solidify that as um, one of the better rim protectors, probably the best rim protector in this draft. Now, yeah, another guy is DeAndre Ayton. If he's available for us, I mean, you can have pick 13, 15, PJ Washington, whatever you want, we'll take DeAndre Ayton too. So as long as we get one of them, we'll be good. Though. We'll be all right. Okay, so then our last pick here, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers. You have... Um, let's see, you have Johnny Davis. I actually have Usman Diang. And Diang, it's it's very difficult to peg him because he was atrocious <laughs> the first half of the year. He's playing in the he's French, but he's playing in the NBL. And the issue was he didn't know any English and he's English-speaking coaches, so he's being coached through a translator, and he played for New Zealand, the New Zealand Breakers who closed their borders, so he didn't play one home game all year. He was living out of a hotel. Like, for an 18-year-old kid, you know, that that's difficult circumstances to for anybody to play on, though, let alone an 18-year-old kid. So I feel like once he got adjusted and was accustomed to the system and everything, that's when he really started putting everything together. So that's why I lean towards the second-half version of him being better than the first half. But for a guy who could, at his size that could pass as well as he does and, you know, pass dribble shoot type forward. Those guys similar. I'll say the same thing about Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. I'll say the same thing about Nikola Jovic. Um, guys like that, they're going to be coveted. And I think the upside is higher than some of the other guys like, you know, a Jalen Duran or Mark Williams going in this range. I think the upside for DA might be higher than like a Dyson Daniels. But the bus potential is significantly higher. So Cleveland, I, I think they are in a pretty good spot now showing. They proved me wrong this year. I said when they signed Larry Markinen and, you know, extended John Allen, I said they're going to be the worst tax team in NBA history eventually. 
with the way they're going. And they, they proved me wrong. I mean, sure, they missed the playoffs in class at the end of the year, but they really look like they have some pieces. So why not? You need the wing help. Why not take the swing on a guy like Dan? Uh, are you going to have him play in the three, right? I mean, given that they have Jowd Allen and Mobley, then most yeah. likely, yes. Yeah. I mean, and then I guess you'd be giving up on the Isaac Okoro experience. Uh, but I don't know. I do think it's a huge swing for the fences. It could work. It could not. I think they would still have a huge hole at the two guard position. Well, they do have Karis LeVert. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if his contract's up or not, but um, it's not. But okay. I, I do think they are going to try to extend him. Let me see. LeVert has, I believe, two more years. He didn't play actually, great. He, he's he one more year. So, yeah, he actually is expiring. Um, so okay. you were right there. Um, and then there's a whole question of Colin Sexton. I, I feel like that when they traded for LeVert, it was insurance that, okay, you know what? We're not going to be able to retain Sexton. Let's get his replacement now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. The thing is, there's not a whole lot of teams with cash space. So maybe a team like Detroit goes after Sexton. But Sexton might have to, you know, like play on the qualifying offer this year and then hit unrestricted agency next year. So that's something that I could envision, you know, Sexton getting squeezed. So then all of a sudden you have a glut of guards there as well. So then they really need help on the wing. You have your big men, you have your guards. Let's get you a wing. And that's why I went with a guy like Jiang. He was the, he was the best wing on my board at that point. Right. I think, you know, the way Garland flourished without Sexton there, I don't think they're going to spend the money on Sexton. So I, that's why I, I don't blame them. I, I don't blame them at all. Right. So if Johnny Davis on the board, that'll be hard to pass up on someone that could be the next great thing, but could be a bust. So that, that's a tough decision. You know, I, I don't see the Cavs being that close to the playoffs, taking that big of a swing, but you never know. You never know. That's Fair arguments. I don't have him in the first round either. So, and, and again, with, with how he's played the beginning of the year, I, I can't say I blame you. Right. I, I just do think the upside is there. And again, guys, pass, dribble, shoot, who could do all that. Right. Uh, I, the spots for them in the NBA, and those type of guys are going to get chances after chances. That's true. So, okay. Well, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. As I said, be on the lookout for my mock offseason. It's going to be a three-part article. I will be posting some spoilers on Twitter throughout the week. And, yeah. Baden- I got to ask you one question yeah. before we get out of here. Go ahead. Where you got Patrick Baldwin going? What do you feel about his game? I have him, let me see, going to Sacramento with pick. Not in the first round, huh? No. Wow. What pick do they have? 37? You think he's going to fall to 37? Okay, I have him 34 to OKC. Um, I do think OKC could take him at 30, but I did give them Caleb Houston at 30 just because of speculation of them giving him a promise. But Patrick Baldwin, I don't know. I like that his standing reach was ridiculously high for a forward but he's not a rim protector, so I don't think it matters all that much. I mean, I <laughs> I don't know. He he. At times, he looks like Michael Porter Jr., right. and at times, he looks completely unplayable. Right. So I think he has like that Usman Diang syndrome where it's like you don't know what if you're getting the high school version of him or the college version of him. But you had him 20 picks apart, so you believe in Usman, but not Patrick Ball. Correct. <laughs> Okay, that's I, I love how you I just, describe it. He doesn't have any explosiveness, so he can't get to the rim. He doesn't punish mis- mismatches when he gets them. Um, he's not a great ball handler or playmaker. Like that's why I think he struggled so much in college is because he didn't play with the true point guard. Like when I was watching um Wisconsin Milwaukee games, the point guards are turning the ball over every possession. Right. right. So that's why I think that. Maybe same thing with Jalen Duran. If he plays with a legit point guard, maybe that expands his game a little bit. But I think he's so one-dimensional that if the shot's not falling, he doesn't provide anything else. And that's my yeah. biggest issue with him. I have him going 19th in Minnesota. I just felt he'll go, be a good pick fit there. Um, you know, they don't need too many starters, really. But, I mean, I, the perfect spot for him probably would be Dallas. I mean, I would love to see him there, and he wouldn't have to do so much. But – 
That's fair. He's just a very interesting prospect. So I had to get your thoughts on him before we get out of here. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> Dallas, I do think we'll go after like, um, I don't know, like a Wendell Moore type of guy that could contribute more right away. Uh, I think they're going to do what Atlanta did this past year and convince themselves, okay, we made it to the conference finals. We're ready to compete for the championship. And then, you know, take a win now guy rather than like the best guy there as they should. I mean, you have Luka Doncic, you're going to be competitive. Yeah, I haven't haven't gone for Christian Coloco because I think they need a better center, but their upgrades are going to probably be through free agency and, you know, trade. So, but we'll see. Rudy Gobert, mock offseason, you heard it here first. There you go. (laughs) Okay. um, You guys, again, rate and review me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Listen to um, William, another Sports Ethos podcast, the All Rookie podcast, rate and review him. Be, again, be on the lookout for the mock trade deadline article. You can follow me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. William, where can people find you? Check me out at WilliamIsBill on Twitter. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, Stephen. It was a pleasure. Yeah, again, thanks for coming on. No doubt.